Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and we're back. Haley, say hello. Hi. It's Halloween time. Are you excited? I am excited. I hate that it gets cold because I don't like the cold, but I like Halloween. It's not. We live in California. It's not that cold. Under 75 is cold. Oh, my gosh. We probably have listeners that are in like Michigan and Detroit, and we know we have listeners in Wisconsin, so they don't probably feel very sorry for you right now. I'm happy at about 78 and higher. See, I don't, I don't know. I would like to change the seasons. We don't have that here. I'm okay with that. <laughs> You're never going to live anywhere else. No, I don't want to. Okay, so um, we are back to our old Haunting History podcast stories, and I'm really excited about today's story. And before I get into that, um, I'm still getting emails and information regarding the disappearance of Deborah Lynn series. And so far, nothing significant enough to report, but we will always, just so you know, we always go, we'll go back to that if we get anything. And then we've had so many people join our Instagram, our followers on Instagram. We've had so many people join our Facebook group and follow us on on different social media, on Twitter and things like that. So we want to do something new that if you're joining us now and or if we've never mentioned you before, Haley, tell them what they can do. You can go on any of our posts on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or any of those or any of our social medias and comment your name and where you are listening. And we will say hi to you on our next episode. You can email us, DM us on any of the social medias, comment on any of the social medias, whatever you want to do. Just let us know your name and where you're listening. And, and then we, we will say, say hi. hi. Yeah, we. I love to. I love that we have new listeners. And even um, any of our older listeners that have been listening for a while, if we haven't said hi to you, Go ahead and do the same thing, and we'll on the next couple of episodes, we're going to say hi to everybody. Um, today's story is called The Mary Celeste. It's, you've probably never heard of that. No. It's a ship, and it's the story of the Mary Celeste has been around for 150 years, and the story has sort of all of my favorite elements. It's not just for, not just because of the fact that it's Halloween time, but always it has ghosts. It has ships, which is just, I love um, maritime history. It has history, it has a mystery, and maybe even pirates. So we all know how I feel about pirates. 
It's obsessive. It's your feeling towards pirates. My, I'm obsessed with pirates. The ship, the Mary Celeste, was set to sail from New York to Italy. If the ship was a 282-ton brigantine, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I looked it up. It's a two-masted sailing ship, and this is the description that I found, as with a square-rigged foremast and a fore-and-aft rigged mainmast. So basically what it is is just a giant sailboat. Yeah, I have no idea what any of those terms, terms mean. Are. I spent way too many times. I actually watched a video on what a brigantine is, and it's it really is just basically a giant a giant sailboat, but it looks a lot like a pirate ship. And it was sailing in 1872, so it makes sense. It was the ship was about to be captained by a gentleman named Benjamin Spooner Briggs, who had arrived at Pier 50 on the East River in October of 1872. And he came early. He was going to man the ship or captain the ship. And he came early to supervise the loading of the ship's cargo, which was 17 and 1701, which I find really weird that they threw the last one in there. Barrels of poisonous, and it's called poisonous denatured alcohol, which if you don't know what that is, denatured alcohol is used as a solvent and as a fuel for alcohol burners and camping stoves. So it's not alcohol you can drink. Um, Briggs was known as a man who abstained from drink and was a devout Bible reader, described by the ship's owner, which he was not the owner, James Henry Winchester. I quote, he said, the captain is a courageous officer who would never desert his ship except to save his life. Also on board the ship that day um, when they left the harbor was his wife, Sarah, their two-year-old daughter, Sophia Matilda. They had joined Captain Briggs towards the end of October, and they were living on the ship in the New York Harbor while it was being loaded. They left behind their son, Arthur, who stayed home with his grandmother to continue attending school. On Sunday, November 3rd, Captain Briggs wrote to his mom, telling her that he intended to leave on Tuesday. His quote from the letter was, Our vessel is in a beautiful trim, and I hope we shall have a fine passage. On Tuesday morning, November 5th, the Mary Celeste left Pier 50 and moved out into the New York Harbor. The weather, though, was uncertain, and Briggs decided to wait for better conditions. He anchored the ship just off Staten Island, and Sarah used this time to send another letter to her mother-in-law. And in in it, she wrote... Tell Arthur, who was their son, I will make great dependence on the letters I shall receive from him and will try to remember anything that happens on the voyage, which he would be pleased to hear. On November 7th, when the weather got better, Mary Celeste left the harbor and went out into the Atlantic. On the ship with the Briggs family was eight crew members, and Albert G. Richardson, who was a mate, the mate aged 28, Andrew Gilling, who was a second mate, he was only 25, Newly married Edward William Head, the steward and the cook, and he was only 23. And then four seamen, Volker Lawrenson, 29, Arian Martins, 35, and then Volker's younger brother, I've seen his name either as Boy or Boys Lawrenson, 23, Gottlieb Gondenschell, who was also 23. A later testimonial described that they were all peaceable and first-class sailors. And this all matters later, this information about who they were. And then, as I always do, I did ancestry on pretty much all of them. And I think one of the really interesting things is that Captain Briggs, he came from a maritime family. His brother was also a captain, and their father was a captain of a ship. And his father died 
from being struck by lightning. While sailing or no, just... No, 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 no. He died standing in the doorway of his home. He was struck by lightning and killed. Scary. Isn't that crazy? Also, like, never happens. I know. Is that just... Amy spent his life on the sea and then died standing in the doorway being struck by lightning. That's so crazy. On December 5th, just a little over a month after the Mary Celeste had set sail, the British ship, the Doug Grazia, or Gradia, was about 400 miles east of Portugal when the crew members on the ship spotted another ship adrift in the choppy seas. The captain of that ship was David Morehouse, who happened to also be a personal friend of Captain Briggs. Some people say there's different conflicting information. Some people say they were really close friends, even saying that they had had dinner in New York before they both set sail. And then other people are saying that they just kind of knew each other. They were, either way, they were both captains and they didn't know each other. They were, um, they had left port just eight days apart and were on a similar course across the Atlantic. Morehouse noticed that so there was something strange about the Mary Celeste. Her sails were slack and the ship was yawning. I had to look up what yawning was and actually, again, watched another video. It means that the ship was moving side to side. That she appeared to be seaworthy, but no one seemed to be in charge of the ship. Through a spyglass, Captain Morehouse recognized the ship as the Mary Celeste it, that was being captained by his friend, Captain Briggs, and he was confused. He knew that Briggs was an experienced captain and that they should have already reached Genoa or were reaching Genoa at the same time. After observing the ship for two hours, Morehouse sent a boarding party to the Celeste. When his first mate and a mate named Oliver DeVoe and the second mate, John Wright, boarded. The party discovered that there was water in the bilge, the lowest point of the ship that sits below the, below the waterline, that the cargo was intact, even though some of the barrels were empty. And his quote was that it was a thoroughly wet mess everywhere. Only one pump was operational, but the ship was still seaworthy. All the ship's papers were missing except for the captain's logbook. The sails were partly set, but were in poor condition. Some were missing altogether, and much of the rigging was damaged, with ropes hanging loosely over the sides. The main hatch was secure, but the front and back hatches were open. Their covers were laying beside them on the deck. The ship's single lifeboat was that had been stowed across the main hatch was missing, while the binnacle housing the ship's compass was shifted from its place with its glass cover broken. There were six months of food on board, and cargo and the crew's personal possessions were still there. The logbook that had was still sitting there had a final dated entry of 8 a.m. November 25th. The only thing weird was that there were no people on board. And how many days apart did they leave? They left um, port eight days apart with his full crew and his family on board. And sometime in between that, they were all gone. They were actually really um, leery about going on board a ship. If there's so many rules, maritime rules about um, salvage. I mean, it's not like it, it didn't happen. It happened often where the crew would have to leave the ship for some reason or, you know, even pirates took over the ship and they didn't have a choice but to leave. So it's not that unusual, but there's there's rules and laws, maritime laws about abandoned ships. And he knew that, he knew the captain. So, it was more confusing to him that the ship had was empty. The captain's um, sextant and chronometer and navigation book were all missing, as well as the ship's register. It's, it, 
The whole look of the ship seemed like there was an orderly abandonment of it. Briggs had at least enough time to get below deck and collect his navigational equipment before le- getting on the lifeboat, if that's what happened. And there was only one lifeboat missing. There was no signs of struggle or violence. But the vessel seems to be abandoned in a hurry, even though it was deemed that it was done neatly, like orderly. It They left quickly. The entry in the ship's log at 8 a.m. on November 25th was nine days earlier. It recorded the Mary Celeste position off Santa Maria Island in the Azores, which was nearly 400 nautical miles from the point where they found it. DeVoe, the mate who had gone on the ship, reported that in Briggs' cabin he had found personal items scattered about, including an unsheathed sword under the bed, but most of the ship's papers were missing, together with the captain's instruments. The galley equipment was neatly stowed away. There was no food prepared or under preparation, but there were ample provisions in the storage. There was no obvious signs of fire or violence. The evidence indicated that they just orderly departed from the ship and most likely used the lifeboat that was missing. Captain, but Would all the people that were on the ship fit in one lifeboat? Yes. Not comfortably. Not comfortably, but it would have been easier and Captain Morris could have kept his crew together if they did get on the lifeboat, but that's where the question remains. Captain Morehouse, or Captain Briggs, I think I said Morehouse there. Captain Briggs would have been able to keep his his crew and his family in one boat. Captain Morehouse agreed to let Oliver DeVoe man the abandoned ship with half the men from his ship and bring the ship into the port of Gibraltar. Under maritime law, a salvager of a ship from the open seas could expect a substantial share of the combined value of the actual ship and then the cargo. The exact award would depend on the degree of danger that they endured salvaging the ship. Morehouse split his crew of eight between two vessels and sent two experienced seamen to the Mary Celeste with him while he and four others remained on his ship and the weather was relatively calm for most of the way. But with each ship seriously undermanned, progress was slow. The De Grazia reached Gibraltar on December 12, 1872, and the Mary Celeste, which had encountered fog, arrived on the following morning. She was immediately impounded by the court, and they were juryless courts located in the British colonies that were granted jurisdiction over legal matters related to maritime activities, such as disputes between merchants and seamen. DeVoe wrote to his wife that the ordeal of bringing the ship in was such that I can hardly tell what I am made of, but I do not care so long as I got in safe. I shall be well paid for the Mary Celeste. And, or so he thought. The salvage court hearings began on December 17th in 1872 under Sir James Cochrane, who is the Chief of Justice for Gibraltar. The hearing was conducted by a man named Frederick Sully Flood. Flood was described by a historian of the Mary Celeste affair as a man whose arrogance and pomposity were inversely proportional to his IQ. He wasn't very liked. He was the sort of man who once made up his mind about something could not be shifted. The testimonies of DeVoe and Wright, the first and second mate who brought the ship in, convinced Flood that a crime had been committed, a belief picked up at the New York Shipping and Commercial List on December 21st. The inference is that there had been foul play somewhere and that alcohol is at the bottom of it. So basically, the court did not believe in any way that Captain Briggs and his crew and his family voluntarily abandoned the ship. They believed that 
DeVoe, Morehouse, and Wright somehow commandeered the shit from them. What would be the purpose of doing that, though? Because when you bought in a salvaged ship, you got the value of the ship and you would get the value of the cargo because you basically saved it. So so they're saying he did it they're for saying the reward that, money, basically. Yeah, the only reason he did it was to get the money, which Morehouse claims, like, Briggs was a friend of mine. Why Why would I do that? And he didn't have any, he didn't have any reason to do it. And there were maritime laws. There were, you know, aside from being respectable men, they weren't pirates. They didn't steal other people's stuff. It wasn't likely that he did. But for some reason, this judge just refused to believe that anything had happened voluntarily to the crew. Did he have a reason? No, other than it was a a valuable ship and a valuable cargo. It said that he ordered an examination of the Mary Celeste, and it was carried out by a man named John Austin, who was a surveyor of shipping. Austin noted that there were cuts on each side of the bow caused, he thought, by a sharp instrument, and he said that he found possible traces of blood on the captain's sword. Now, DeVoe had said the captain's sword was unsheathed, but it was under the bed. His report emphasized that the ship did not appear to have been struck by heavy weather. And he cited, and this is one of the things that were is just really stupid about it. He said that there was a vial of sewing machine oil found upright in its place. So he's saying if the ship had hit rough waters or anything bad, that the vial would not have stayed upright. Mm-hmm. But he seems to forget that the crew of the De Grazia or Gradia had brought the ship into port and it spent something like eight days bringing it in or something. They could have at any time put that vial on the desk or on the sewing machine. It didn't, they're seeing it after a crew had brought, spent days on it, bringing it in. Mm-hmm. So when Austin told flood that he kind of held onto it and said, well, see if the, if the vial was still sitting upright, then, Obviously, something just happened to the ca- the crew. Wasn't there water or something? There was water in the... Yes, there was... A, the quote is a thoroughly wet mess in the bottom of the ship. So yes, there was water, but it wasn't enough to sink the ship. And one of their pumps was working. So ultimately, they would have been able to get the water out of the ship. There, at the bottom of the ship, I read, um, always has some water in it. It wasn't completely dry all no, but it had to have been more wet than what would be deemed as normal for them to comment on it, right? It it was more than, it was it was enough for, it was the amount of water that would be predicted to be there had a ship left been unmanned for a period of time, but not enough to sink the ship and not enough to make a crew or a captain abandon the ship. Mm-hmm. A further inspection by a group of Royal Navy captains endorsed Austin's opinion that the cuts on the bow had been caused deliberately. They also discovered stains on one of the ship's rails that might have been blood, together with a deep mark possibly caused by an axe. These findings only strengthened Flood's suspicions that human wrongdoing rather than natural disaster lay behind the mystery. In January of 1873, he sent reports to the Board of Trade in London, adding his own conclusion that the crew had got at the alcohol completely ignoring the fact that you could not drink this alcohol without dying and murdered the Briggs family and the ship's officer in a drunken frenzy. They had cut the bow to simulate a collision, then fled in the lifeboat to suffer an unknown fate. Flood thought that Morehouse and his men were hiding something, 
specifically that the Mary Celeste had been abandoned in a more easterly location and that the log had been doctored. He could not accept that the Mary Celeste could have traveled so far unmanned. And it was unbelievable. It traveled almost 400 miles by itself. But it's a ship in open seas. Why is that unbelievable? Yeah, I don't know enough about sailing. The owner of the um, of the Mary Celeste, James Winchester, arrived in Gibraltar on January 15th to inquire when the Mary Celeste might be released to deliver its cargo. Flood demanded a surety of $15,000, like a bond, in which Winchester didn't have it. He became aware that Flood thought that he might have deliberately engaged a crew that had killed Briggs and his officers as part of some conspiracy. So now Flood blamed the the crew and the captain of the DeGradia, and now he's blaming the owner of the Mary Celeste. It, it, like I say that ships were brought in and salvaged often. They were, but they weren't. They weren't in the condition that the Mary Celeste was in. And they also weren't captained by a highly regarded captain like Benjamin Briggs was. Winchester testified to Briggs's high character and insisted that he wouldn't have abandoned his ship except in an extremity. Blood's theories of mutiny and murder received significant setbacks when a scientific analysis of the stains found on the sword and on the ship showed that they were not blood. A second blow to Flood followed in a report by a man named Horatio Sprague, who was the American consul from Gibraltar and from Captain Schulfeldt of the U.S. Navy. In Schulfeldt's view, the marks on the bow were not man-made, but had come from natural actions of the sea on the ship's timbers. So, Flood is trying to say that something nefarious happened. For whatever reason, he just did not trust the crew of the Del Guardia. He didn't trust the owner owner of the boat. But all of his reasons for not trusting don't make sense. Like saying that they drank all the alcohol and formed a mutiny is ridiculous. They would have died drinking that alcohol. It was a solvent, not it rum. Like drinking what? Cleaner? Yeah, well, it's the Bleach? stuff that you would light. No, oh. it would be like lighter fluid. It, oh, okay. It's like a lighter fluid thing. Um, so they wouldn't, that's it. No one really explains why he just, he just could not con- comprehend a ship of the magnitude of the Mary Celeste showing up in port and being fine. Right. There was nothing. And the thing is, is that these people disappeared. Briggs, his wife, his two year old daughter, and the entire crew were gone. Gone, gone. No one's ever seen or heard from them again. So Flood has a real problem with that too. Typically when a ship is abandoned for whatever reason, they show up, you know, on land. They show up at the next island or whatever to, to claim that their ship, something happened to their ship. Well, they didn't. They disappeared. The entire crew and, and the family disappeared. Nothing concrete supported Flood's suspicions and he finally re- reluctantly released the Mary Celeste from the court's jurisdiction on February 25th. Two weeks later, with a locally raised crew, headed by Captain George Blandford from Massachusetts, left Gibraltar for Genoa. The question of the salvage payment was decided on April 8th. They announced that they would pay one-fifth of the total value of the ship and the cargo. It was much farther than the general expectation. One authority thought that the award should have been given at least twice or three times that amount, especially given the level of hazard to bring the ship into port. Um, but the, the, it was a final decision 
and the words were harshly critical of Captain Morehouse for his decision earlier in the hearing when he said that he had given the ship to DeVoe to deliver its cargo. Although Morehouse had remained in Gibraltar at the disposal of the court, they implied of his wrongdoing, and it says that Morehouse and his crew would be under suspicion in the court of public opinion forever. When all was said and done, talk of the Mary Celeste didn't go away. It was endlessly discussed that the Mary Celeste was doomed from the start. It had a shadowy past, originally christened the Amazon. It was given a new name after a series of mishaps. Now, here's the thing. When it was called the Amazon, it um, was captained by a man. I don't have his name. But he um, was overcome by a sudden illness and died. And then it collided with another ship in the English Channel. Sailors are known for having many superstitions. When Winchester bought the ship, he just changed the name. And sailors don't believe in that. They believe that there are certain rules to changing a ship's name. Did you know that sailors and pirates are very superstitious? Uh, Kind of, I think. Um, I took it from, this is from the, the website How Stuff Works. In all cultures, you probably won't encounter a more superstitious group of people than sailors. Most psychologists believe that superstitions evolve from having feeling a lack of control. And it says when something important is at stake, yet the outcome is uncertain, superstitions are likely to be used to fill a gap. They make us feel more confident. So when you're talking about a boat or a ship out in the water, it relies on many things beyond your control. I mean, you can't even steer a ship technically. You know what I mean? You can't. You can steer, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like it's a not car. It's not as directional as a car. Right. right. So everything on a ship is kind of out of your control a little bit. And that sailors have a lot to worry about. And it makes sense that they Rely have, on yeah, that they have as many superstitions um, as they do. And I got a list of superstitions about a boat. Whistling on a boat is bad luck. Bringing bananas on a boat is bad luck. You never set sail on a Thursday or a Friday. If you see a redhead before boating, Boarding a ship, it's bad luck. <laughs> Dolphins swimming alongside a ship are good luck. And then changing the name of a ship or boat is very bad luck. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. So they're saying the boat was already cursed. It was because doomed. of the issues before and then the change of the name. It was doomed from the beginning. Um, why is it bad luck to change the name of a vessel? Is boats change hands all the time and what was a perfect name for one owner could possibly not be the perfect name for another one. Many boaters and sailors thought um, that changing the name brings bad luck. 
And if you do have to change it, you should perform a ceremony ceremony first. So the superstition goes, and it's even mentioned in the classic novel Treasure Island, that what a ship was christened, so let her stay. Tales abound of captains renaming their ships in a moment, only to be met with a tragic watery end. Legend says that when even a ship is christened, its name goes into a ledger of the deep, maintained by Neptune himself. Renaming a ship or boat means you're trying to slip something past the gods and you will be punished. So, a more practical explanation, though, is they say that back in the day, most boats were used to transport cargo, and each vessel had its own reputation, good or bad, in the ports of call all over the world. So a set of name change would render a boat and therefore its reputation unrecognizable. So that makes more sense. So whether you're superstitious or not, if you decide to change the name of a boat, fellow sailors consider it good form to perform a renaming ritual. And a boat renaming ceremony makes the sea gods aware that you're renaming your boat, showing them that you have no underhanded motives. So the different ceremonies are, and I'll tell you what they are. Um, you have to typically first remove all traces of the old name. So that means removing the name from the hall, burning the logbook and paperwork, and requesting the gods to forget the old name. Then when you rechristen the boat with, an, with alcohol, first you offer some of the, to the water, some to the boat, then everyone else to toast the new vessel. And then another way, which would just be shorter, is you have the option to have a virgin pee over the bow. That woke you up. Well, because it's hard for people to believe in UFOs, but we believe in the sea gods cursing again, you again, both. Again. I don't understand. Here's the thing. I I get it because like my fear of earthquakes, and I think that primarily my fear comes from the lack of control. In a ship, when you're out in the ocean, you are completely at the mercy of the sea, of weather, of land, of coral. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, you can't even just like turn, make a right turn on a ship. You, it's, it's not, it's not a controllable vessel. So I get it. I get, I mean, I don't get why someone peeing over the edge makes it all okay, but, um, yeah, I don't know. But here's, there's a whole bunch of theories about what happened to the crew and the cat and the family on the Mary Celeste. Um, the first one, which, and, and you have to understand this was in all the papers that the ghost ship of the Mary Celeste and what happened to the Briggs family. One of the theories is a mutiny. Initial checks of the ship found strange marks that may have been caused by an axe, along with traces of what seemed to be blood. Um, the attorney general fixated on the idea that the members of the crew had got violently drunk on the alcohol and had massacred everyone else on board before deporting the ship in the sole lifeboat. Um, except that the, the bloodstains weren't bloodstains and the marks were natural wear and tear and the alcohol was not fit for drinking. So I don't know. They were one of the, like I read in the beginning, one of the crew members had just recently been married. Like it wasn't like they were, the cargo wasn't diamonds and pearls. It was unnatural alcohol. So I don't know. Just the whole mutiny thing seems weird. Um, there was also pirates. People thought that maybe pirates had taken over the ship and abandoned it for some reason. I was going to say, don't pirates want ships because they want the ship and things on it? Like, what would be the purpose of taking over a ship and, and leaving it? Leaving um, it. One of the theories is that they found out about the name change. That somewhere on the ship it had some information about the name change. 
and pirates did not miss mess around with their superstitions so that people are saying that pirates came they on did board. all that work and then decided it's well risky. all that work i mean they got rid of the they threw the crew and the family overboard and then someone realized like oh wait a minute well having a woman on board i was i had always heard was bad luck also yeah but so, i think i heard that from pirates of the caribbean yeah i don't know where i heard that either <laughs> um so i don't know um that's one of the things um they said that could North African pirates have attacked the ship and killed the crew. Perhaps the ship, the ship actually had been looted and people didn't know what was actually on board, that there were other things on board. Um, people think that they were suspicious of the, the crew and the captain of the dog, the dog Gratia saying that they had not actually discovered an empty ship that they had in reality attacked the Mary Celeste. And then pretended to have found her adrift so that they could gain the money from the salvage. Um, another story is that they think that um, it was an inside job that maybe Captain Briggs and his family faked their death and teamed up with uh, Morehouse to get the salvage money, which doesn't, they were very respected maritime family. Like, I just don't, I just don't see that happening. And if he was going to do that, would he have taken his wife and daughter on board? Like originally, like that was always the plan. Why would he take his right. family? And um, why would he have uh, deserted his son? Like, yes, could they have gone on shore and started a life somewhere else? Absolutely, if they had enough money. But why would he have left his son? Mm-hmm. Um, the third is an alien abduction. There's no getting away from it. Many people still believe it, that alien suddenly turned up and whisked away the crew and family. It's probably... Um, Partly down to the idea that many people have of the Mary Celeste being in an eerily pristine condition with the log, last log entry written shortly before it was discovered. Um, originally, the stories in the paper had said that there was still half-eaten food on the table. It didn't turn out to be true. Um, and the log entry had been made several days before that the, the ship was disheveled and waterlogged to a point. And there's the matter of the missing lifeboat. If aliens, you know, took the family to take them in the lifeboat. No. Pretty sure they just beam down and scoop them up, right? Yeah. (laughs) Another thing is an earthquake on the seabed. This is so awful. Uh, Called a sea quake. Have you heard of a sea quake before? I have not, but is this going to give you nightmares? It might. Um, It could have caused sufficient turbulence on the surface to damage parts of the Mary Celeste cargo, thus releasing noxious fumes, which would explain why the back hatches were off. Rising fears of an imminent explosion could have led Briggs to order a ship's abandonment. The displaced hatches suggest that the inspection or attempted airing had taken place. In 1886, uh, um article drew attention to the case where a vessel carrying alcohol had exploded. So they said, you know, could that, could an, a threatened explosion in the Mary Celeste hold had made um, him take away take them away from the ship and somehow were not tied to the ship, drifted away, hit bad weather. I don't know. That seems the most likely just because everything that would help him guide his way in a lifeboat were missing off the boat. Like right. he, he took, took his it with stuff. Him right. They, yeah. Um, Briggs's all- cousin, Oliver, um, believed this theory the most and, um, provided alarming scenario rumblings from the hold like the smell of escaping fumes and possibly an explosion 
for Briggs to have ordered the evacuation of the ship. In his haste to leave the ship before it exploded, Briggs may have failed to properly secure the lifeboat to a tow line. Um, A sudden breeze could have blown the ship away from the occupants, leaving them to succumb to the elements. The lack of damage from an explosion and the generally sound state of the cargo discovery kind of weakens the case. Because why why did he think it was going to explode? You know what I mean? The third and most convincing theory relates to the, again, to the explosion. Um, Whether due to turbulence or barrels, the alcoholic fumes may have escaped, causing a small explosion or making the crew think an explosion was imminent. I don't think a small explosion because I think there would have been damage, but I think that making them believe that an explosion was imminent, definitely. Briggs may then have ordered to temporarily abandon the ship, everyone piling into the lifeboat to sail behind the Mary Celeste until the danger had passed. The rope attaching the boat to the ship may have come undone, leaving them to bob uselessly as the empty Mary Celeste sailed away, abandoning them to the sea where they couldn't have survived. A theory proposed by the Smithsonian's channel, The True Story of the Mary Celeste, in 2007 for the abandonment of the ship is that of pump congestion and instrumental malfunction. The Mary Celeste had always been used for transporting coal prior to this sailing, which is known for its dust before it was loaded with the alcohol. As a pump was found disabled on the deck, the crew may have been attempting to repair it. Since the hole was packed full, the captain would have no way of judging how much water had been taken on board while navigating rough seas. It's also believed that his chronometer was faulty, meaning that Briggs could have ordered abandonment thinking they were closer to Santa Maria when in fact they were 120 miles west. The Mary Celeste in 1973, with newspaper stories of bloodshed and murder, had made her an unpopular ship. Hastings wrote that she rotted on the wharves where nobody wanted her. In February of 1874, the people who did own the ship sold it for a far less value to a group in New York. Under the new ownership, the Mary Celeste sailed mainly on the West Indian and Indian Ocean routes, regularly losing money on every trip. Details of her movements occasionally appeared in shipping news just because it was the Mary Celeste. And then the captain who had taken over, a man named Edgar Tuthill, fell ill and was taken to an island and died, which, again, encouraged people to believe that the ship was cursed. It was her third captain to die early, saying, you know, if Briggs did die. In February 1880, the owners again sold the Mary Celeste to a group of men headed by Wesley Gove. A new captain, Thomas Fleming, remained until August of 1884 and was the first captain to actually survive. He was replaced by uh, Captain Gilman Parker. In November of 1884, Parker conspired with a group of Boston shippers to fill the Mary Celeste with worthless cargo misrepresented on the ship's manifest and valued and insured for $30,000, which comparable today is about $900,000. In December, he set sail for Port-au-Prince, which is the chief port of Haiti. On January 3rd of 1885, the Mary Celeste approached the port and um, hit a large coral reef. Parker deliberately ran the ship up on the reef, ripping out her bottom and wrecking her beyond repair. He and the crew rowed themselves ashore where Parker sold the salvageable cargo for $500 to the American consul and then filed an insurance claim on the worthless cargo that he said that he had. Um, during the investigation, though, they revealed the truth of the overinsured cargo. 
In July of 1885, Parker and the shippers were tried in Boston for conspiracy to commit insurance fraud. And then Parker, like he went through this whole trial, which it's it's a felony to claim to do what he did. I mean, well, it's still a felony, but um, back then jurors were not able to kind of agree on a verdict. So he was actually ended up being able to walk free, but the judge negotiated an arrangement where the defendants withdrew their insurance claims. And basically what they did was he got to go free, but it definitely ruined his reputation. And he died three months later in poverty. One of his co-defendants, one of the crew members, went mad and another committed suicide. Jeez. It's one of the one of the observers said that if the court of man could not punish these men, the curse that had deviled the ship since her first skipper had died on her maiden voyage could reach beyond the vessel's watery grave and exact its own terrible retribution. It's a powerful so, boat. Yeah. Um, in 2001, an expedition headed by a marine archaeologist and author Clive Cussler announced that he had found the remains of the ship um, embedded in the reef, but um, it was later found that the a, an extensive test on the the wood that he found because there wasn't that much left. It was like pieces of wood and metal. They said that the the wood came from trees that were still growing when the Mary Celeste had um, sunk. So they don't believe that it was Mary Celeste. So, so the Mary Celeste, basically, it, I don't know, cursed ship or not cursed ship. Sounds like a cursed ship, but also, I don't think any crazy anything crazy happened you think, to Captain Briggs. And you think that they abandoned ship for a reason, and they were like planning to, you know, survive on the lifeboat, and they didn't. And too far. I don't know. I love the story of a ghost ship. I love the story of a ship just floating out at sea and no one knowing what happened or what could have happened. Mm-hmm. It's the mystery of the Mary Celeste has endured for almost 150 years. Did the sea claim the lives of Captain Brig and his family or did something or someone determine their fate? If only dead men could tell tales. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to follow and comment on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites. And Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. 
Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.